If you have your Bibles with you this morning, <clears throat> or your favorite app, we'll be in Genesis 4. We'll be in verses 1 through 9. Genesis 4, 1 through 9, just a couple pages into the scriptures. Since it's September, we're moving into a new small thing that we're uh, examining, looking at, and exploring. Uh, this month, we'll be looking at hospitality. And I'm really excited about this particular small thing because it is something that is definitely dear to my heart uh, because I am thoroughly convinced that one of the ways that we can actually take care of our neighborhoods and our neighbors this very day is through hospitality. It is probably one of the most welcoming model that you'll find in the Christian faith across America. And so I uh, love this particular uh, topic of hospitality and I hope uh, that we'll see the richness of hospitality that we find throughout the entirety of the scriptures from Old to New Testaments. If you found your spot, would you please stand for the reading of Christ's word. Genesis 4, be reading verses 1 through 9 this morning. May you hear the word of Christ. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. <clears throat> and the Lord had required, excuse me, had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, If you do right, will not your face be lifted? But if you do not do right, you will, will not sin be crouching at the door of your heart. Though its desire is on you, you will have power over it. Cain spoke to his able brother, Let us go into the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace that has been so kindly given to us through your Son. We thank you for this time of fellowship, of singing songs of praise, of being able to now hear your word. And so, Lord, soften our hearts and our minds so that we might receive the word through your Spirit because they always work together, the Spirit and the Word, so that they could so deeply into our hearts, so that we can be your people wherever you have called us to be. But now may you speak to us, and may we find great and good things, good riches from your Word. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Let's begin with a little thought experiment this morning in many respects. Uh, how many of you have brothers? Raise your hand. Right? Yeah, you could say, well, I've got a sister too, but I'm particularly paying attention to those who have brothers. Now, how many of you have ever, raise your hand, fought with your brother? Oh, look, 100%. Those who raised their hand who have brothers and then I asked you who fought with their brothers, 100% of you raised your hand. Now, just because 
we use the word fight, it doesn't mean something violent, so to speak. It could be something that is sort of filled with like this anger, this hatred of your brother in a spur of a moment. Anger isn't something that's what we say intrinsically evil. There's nothing morally wrong always with being angry. Anger can be ill-intentioned. It can be morally wrong uh, in how we use it against our brother or if we could extend the metaphor into the brother or sister in Christ that we have. We never did anything like that, did we? We never have gotten angry against our brother or sister. We've never plotted revenge against our brother when he did something wrong to us at some point, have we? But there's also what we call a righteous anger. I mean, Jesus has this righteous anger on a couple of events in the New Testament. He gets angry, and the scriptures say he got angry. So it's not like anger is always this morally, intrinsically evil thing. You can have a righteous anger against something that is so broken in the world, something that is so unlike the way the world should be. And so we talk about Jesus's. <coughs> righteous anger. He sees an injustice and he gets angry at it because it's not the way the world God has intended it to be. But the narrative we're exploring this morning in Genesis 4 is dealing with that former anger, the revengeful anger, the, uh, the very upsetting anger that you're willing to plot an evil against a brother because you have not liked something about them. So here's the question that we need to ask this morning. What are the connections between anger, hospitality, and thankfulness? I want you to see those three words together. Almost think of them like a triangle. Anger in one angle, then you have hospitality in one, and at the top, let's put thankfulness. What are the connections between those? Jay, do you mind grabbing me a water, please? Sorry to throw that on you. <coughs> I'm not going to make it if I don't get a sip of water. So with that question in mind, let's begin looking through our verses this morning. Let's look at verses 1 through 5. Let it be said on, said on the front end that there's nothing intrinsically better uh, about Cain's job over his brother. I've heard it a, a couple of different times. Well, it's better to be a farmer than it is to be a shepherd, at least what we see here in the narrative. That's not what's happening. Or the vice versa. It's better to be a shepherd than a farmer. That's not the narrative and that's not what this is about. It's not that one is better, shepherding was better uh, than, and more worthy than the farming. That's not what's happening. Narrative isn't uh, giving the significance of one vocation completely on top of the other. But there's something that disturbs us about this passage or maybe it's just me about this passage, that both bring, notice this, Cain brings his offering, Abel brings his offering, Abel brings the flock and the fat portions there, and then you have Cain bringing the fruit of the ground, the first fruit, the grain, the harvest. They both bring them. But what disturbs me about this is that there is a difference. Thank you, man. Very much. But there is a difference between their offerings to the Lord. So what is it? Because <clears throat> if you look at verses 4 and 5, it tells us this. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. And then you see 
the opposite. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. There is a difference between the two. And we can't overlook this fact. Because when something is repeated in Scripture, it's very important. It's very important when words are repeated, especially in the same verse or line. Just like when our uh, wives will repeat something to us, gentlemen. They'll say something once, then twice, then three times. And guess what? We're in trouble because we have not listened. Same here. It's like the Lord is getting our attention and saying, if you missed it, let me tell you again. Because this is so important to what is happening. So did you catch what was repeated? The Lord had regard, keyword, for Abel, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So there's a contrast between these two. I don't know if anybody's ever asked you. They might not have used this word with you, but... When they're talking about God, they'll say, well, he seems to be, in the Old Testament, a God who always is changing his mind. The word we'd use is like capricious, but we don't say capricious anymore. The Lord changes his mind. It seems like the Lord is sort of like a uh, toddler wanting ice cream, then chocolate. Well, how does he give regard to one but not the other? Is this God really capricious? Is he just wanting to change his mind just because? Or is there some sort of significance about this passage of why he's focusing on one and favoring the one and not the other? God seems to like Abel's sacrifice, but Cain's not so much. And he's doing this much like our Sophie uh, will want popsicles one second, but mac and cheese the next. You just never know what she's going to want. But I don't think that's what it's after. It's not like God it can't make his mind up. That's far from the case. This, this, the logic of the text is not saying that. It's not a God problem in this passage. It's a broken human being problem. If you just back up a chapter in Genesis 3, this is where we see the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And then you have them having their first children, Cain and Abel. And so you have already a narrative that talks about a broken decision of their parents, and then further broken decisions of their own children. But the decision of Cain to murder his own brother, it significantly catapults and shows how fast sin is taking over into the world. Because if we look at Hebrews 11.4, it sort of gives us a clarification of what's happening here in this passage in Genesis 4. The author of Hebrews writes this, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, though through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts. Did you catch that? The author of Hebrews says, By faith, Abram, I want to say Abram there, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. Abel's heart if we were to now go back to Genesis 4, seems to be in the right place, whereas Cain's is not. Abel is worshiping, and Cain's heart is elsewhere, probably completely focused on himself. In fact, the passage shows us that Cain's face is actually telling the story of his heart. Look at verses <clears throat> 6 and 7. So Cain was very angry 
It's showing his emotion. How, is he, how do we know that? His face fell. Then the Lord says to Cain, if you do right, in other words, choose that which is righteous, will not your face be lifted up? One scholar on this brings out what we're trying to understand about these verses of 6 and 7. He says this, as a drooping countenance or his face moving downward is an external sign of Cain's inner bad disposition. That's what you find. But the Lord tries to give him a different position of lifting up his heart, not as anger towards his brother, but to lift his heart up to the Lord. And that would change also the external sign of his face, his countenance. It would change. So the Lord is actually trying to minister to his heart in this moment trying to say, try to turn that hate and enmity that you have against your brother, turn it towards me and have some resolve. Don't continue to turn your hatred toward your brother. Because I don't know if you have, but I can read people like that, especially 7th and 8th graders. I can look at their face and know the inner disposition that's happening. You can probably, parents, do that to your kids. You can look at their face and know what's happening deep down in their hearts. And that's exactly what the Lord is doing to Cain. He is reading his face and knowing that there's something deeply wrong, disturbed with Cain's own heart. So reading his heart, he's trying to care for Cain. He's trying to tend to the heart of Cain. And he's trying to do this and especially warn him before his heart gets in the way of making a very irrational and a very sinful choice. He's trying to come in before this choice happens and say, where are you? What is your heart thinking? And how can we actually change that disposition to actually honor me? He's telling Cain, if you don't get rid of your envious thoughts, they will overwhelm you. Be ready because these thoughts... And the metaphor here is a tiger crouching and ready to pounce on its prey. A tiger at your door, ready, it's crouched, ready to pounce on you. Then we see Cain's response in verses 8 through 9. Look with me. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And some of your Bibles won't give you this little snippet because in certain manuscripts that we come across, they do have this insertion of what Cain actually tells Abel. And some of those manuscripts read this. Let's go out to the field. Which does make sense because then he tells him, uh, the passage tells us, and when they were in the field, what happens? Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord calls out to Cain and says, where's your, where's your brother Abel? And to which Cain replies, I don't know. Am I br my brother's keeper? A generation before, Adam and Eve, the disobedience that they have leads into an exile, a pushing out from the garden. They once had these good and beautiful possibilities, but they decided to be against the things of God. And here we have a generation later, disobedience has poisoned the hearts of a son who has murdered his own brother. It happens that quickly. And it's not just the violent and hideous scene that we have here with Cain killing his own brother. If we look even more closely, read what those verses say in verses 8, especially 8. Cain spoke to his brother, 
let's go out to the field. The deception, the trickery, the pretense should haunt us in this little narrative. The fact that he is speaking to his own brother, the one who is expected to love him, to care for him, and to watch over him, ends up murdering his own flesh and blood. Then once again, God interrogates him, to which Cain replies this. He replies with a lie, I don't know where my brother is. Then, and you have almost this like unemotional and kind of inconsiderate comment, am I my brother's keeper? And I'm going to let that question linger for a second. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? We began this sermon asking a question. What are the correlations between anger and hospitality and thankfulness? I do believe this passage in Genesis 4 helps us put, uh, put those pieces together. First, Cain greatly misunderstands the favor of God. Did you catch that? He greatly misunderstands the favor of God. Whenever we notice that God is favoring a friend of us, or a neighbor across the street, or a complete stranger, stranger that we have run across, how do you respond? Why not me, Lord? Why did you give them that and not me? Cain misunderstands that God has given gifts to both him and Abel. It's not that he gave only Abel something and him nothing at all. It's the exact opposite. Both have received gifts from God. Both of them come to, to, uh, before the Lord in order to offer those gifts before the Lord. But there is that vast difference in the type of heart that is being given over to the Lord because of those gifts. Church, anytime anger, time and time again, will creep into our hearts, we will compare ourselves to others. When we see that there's a problem, like they have that, I don't, we get angry not only at the people, but we might get angry with God as well. Why can't I have that? And on top of that, we even get angry at the person, our brother or sister, who is also a gift to us. We usually don't see people as gifts. We just see them as people and we don't see them as gifts that the Lord has put in our lives in order to help change us and to transform us in the image of Christ. We become unthankful not only for the gifts that they got, the gifts that we got, but also we become very unthankful for the very people that we have in our own lives. Instead, we'll say, okay, they make $10,000 more than me. Their baseball team has won more championships than us or football teams, we will think their family has everything and we have nothing. And we'll even think that neighbor has another new boat. Why not me? Why can I have those things? Why is the Lord withholding his hand from my own life? Whenever we can't see the favor of God in somebody else's life and also our own lives, we'll likely get angry towards them and towards God will become unappreciative and unthankful in our own hearts for the very things that they have and also the things that we have. 
which means this church, we're less likely to show hospitality. Did you hear me? We're less likely to show hospitality to those people that we know are being favored, that are receiving gifts. Because we typically don't want to extend favor to somebody who already has been given much favor. We, our hearts are broken like that. You've already been favored. Why would I want to give you more? I don't want to extend those things to you. You have enough. I don't. I need to come over to your house. You need to invite me over there. I need to be favored by you. You see what happens when we misunderstand the depth of the, the gifts that God has given both them and us. Second, Cain, miss, excuse me, Cain underestimates the value of his gifts from God. Isn't it just like a broken human being? To first not see one's gifts as gifts from God. They're from his hands. Second, to undervalue and cheapen one's gifts from God. And third, to see one's gifts as restricted to one's own personal enjoyment. Ah, you can't have my gifts. No, no, those are mine. You aren't allowed to share in those things. These are for me and not for you. Contrary to what we might think, though, gifts are always from the hand of God. Always. Gifts are valuable and good because they come from God, who is always good. And lastly, gifts are meant to be shared, not concealed or withheld. We understand that this daily thankfulness and gratitude that we can have in our own lives can spill over into our own families and into our neighborhoods. In other words, we must manage and we must protect our hearts and our habits in our daily lives. Once we learn how to be thankful for the very gifts that we've been given on a daily and weekly basis, we see those little things as, hey, how can I share that with so-and-so? How can I see this truly as a valuable thing to give to someone else, to share this goodness with? In the simplest of ways, I think this is how we can understand how to build this habit of thankfulness in our own lives. And it's here, right here. We do this by leaning into Christ's spirit every single day. That we might be filled with him. And from this encounter, we see the fruit of his spirit come out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice how each of those lists doesn't leave room for envy. Love doesn't leave room for envy. Joy doesn't leave any room for unthankfulness. It doesn't allow it. Or goodness or faithfulness or self-control doesn't leave room for hatred. All of those things, when we lean into Christ's Spirit, we'll see Him working in our lives, shaping in us into the image of His Son so that we can then extend those good gifts to our own neighbors and friends. And two, we can protect our hearts and cultivate thankfulness by audibly and intentionally telling people how much they and do mean to us. We will actually be truly surprised by the ways in which hospitality and the way that thankfulness actually work together. The more that we see people as gifts, the more that we see uh, the gifts that people have received in their own lives as gifts that the Lord has given them, we can then begin to extend that favor and 
being a more hospitable people that drive our lives towards others and not so inward focused that we find with Cain. Because at the end of the day, if we read carefully throughout the Old and New Testament, the first promise given to Abram is this, that you are blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. That promise continues to weave throughout the entirety of the scriptures and it finds its fullness in the person of Christ. Because it is in and through him that not only is the church blessed, but that we are to also extend that blessing to others. And so the more that we are working through this month of September of hospitality, I want us to really wrestle with that. How in the world can we show hospitality and blessing towards other people and extend that favor, whatever Christ has given us, whatever God has given us, whatever gifts he's given us, how can we invite people to participate in that goodness that God has given to us? So how can we be that people? How can we show that favor? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for, again, the fact that we can even gather this morning and know that you have overwhelmed us with great joy because your son is the greatest gift that has been given. And that we are overwhelmed with the fact that you have extended that mercy to us. And you have been so hospitable that you have invited us to be in your family. You have opened the doors into your family and that we are a people that can be able to say, Lord, we have been given favor. We have been given good gifts. Now, how in the world can we extend that to others? I think there's unique ways that families in here can extend a hospitality that I can't. That there are other families in here that it can extend a, a, a certain hospitality to other people that I can't. So ultimately, at the end of the day, we understand that we all have unique ministries into giving and to showing a great grace that has been given to us. And so, Lord, may you burden us this week. I mean, overwhelm us with certain individuals, certain persons in our lives and say, how can I love them well? And in what ways can I love them well? And may you convict us so much that we cannot get those persons off of our minds. Who are they and how can we love them? Lord, we offer these things in your name. Amen.